Hey there, I'm Lucas Fitz. If you know me, you know two things to be true. I love a good pair of denim, and I'm always here for the stories. When I first got into the heritage goods movement and buying intentionally, I looked to American Field as an industry leader in connecting cool brands to cool consumers. There's nothing better than hearing the story behind how a big idea grew into a business. Now, we're bringing it online and inviting you to join in the conversation, whether you're watching or listening along from wherever you call home. I'll be hosting these fireside chats, intimate, personal looks at the inner workings of some of our favorite brands on our AF network. So, sit down, grab a whiskey or coffee or beer, and ride along as we shine the spotlight on real people and real stories. This is AF Fireside. Today's episode is presented by Jamestown, a global real estate investment and management company known for transforming spaces into innovation hubs and community centers. Learn more at jamestownlp.com. Hey, how's it going? Welcome back to AF Fireside. Glad, as always, to have you back with us. Hey, if you haven't had a chance to go back and listen to last week's episode, we recapped uh, lessons learned from the first five brands that we spoke to. They were all brands that were partners in life and partners in business. I had a lot of fun doing it. Thought there were some good insights in it. Today, we're doing it again, but we're focusing on uh, the next five brands that we spoke to, and those brands are all family businesses. So in this series with brands that have been passed down from generation to generation, we talked a ton about family dynamics and business, the pros and cons of navigating a legacy brand, and we got a lot of insight into the strategies that these brands have employed to stay relevant for, in some cases, over 100 years. Uh, for me, one of the big takeaways from this series was uh, that in the time talking to family members from these five brands, it, it felt like a huge investment in my understanding of American manufacturing. Obviously, you've heard of Made of America, Made in USA, Made Here. I remember hearing that as long as I can remember that I've had autonomy over the way that I spend my money. I've always known that it was important, but I can't say that I really had a holistic understanding of why. So I want to kick off this discussion here with exactly that. I want to look at the big picture of the importance of the Made in America movement. And also get an understanding of the cyclical nature of that movement, right? Its presence in consumer trends. This first bit is from our talk with Mike and Kyle Rancourt, a father and son team behind Rancourt & Co., which is an independent shoe manufacturer in Lewiston, Maine. They make really great stuff. I asked Kyle, who's the son of the duo, why he thinks it is that the American-made movement ebbs and flows with history. I think it's because of um, societal political issues. Um, I would say it, it comes back into focus because of societal or political issues. Sure. So 2008, 2009, all the way up until 2012, 2013, the, the country was recovering from, you know, a, a depression, the Great Recession, one of the worst, you know, financial times in our history. And people started to realize, oh boy, you know, American manufacturing is struggling. We need to support people who are making things in this country. We need to make more things in this country. And then, you know, as uh, the economy rebounded and, and, and the media stopped covering that quite as much and, you know, people had a little more money in their bank accounts, their 401ks had rebounded, um, you know, they kind of, they kind of lost sight of it. And so, We've gone through this period for the past three or four years, five years, where uh, it certainly has not been at the forefront of most Americans' minds. 
But now we're going through this pandemic. And as, as we all know, early on, one of the biggest issues was that uh, we, as, as a country, did not have uh, sufficient access to personal protective equipment because very little of it was made in the United States. And so we couldn't, you know, protect that, that resource. We couldn't, you know, we, we, yeah, we couldn't, we couldn't find uh, um, the suppliers for that because they weren't in the United States. They were all overseas and they had other priorities. And so again, now we're starting to see where people are saying, oh boy, you know, we should be manufacturing things in this country and people are out of work because of this pandemic and, and, you know, what types of companies can employ large numbers of people, manufacturing companies. I'm not saying uh, American manufacturing is the answer to everything, but it, it can be a, a small or sizable piece of this puzzle. And I think um, we as, as brands, we as, um, you know, supporters of the Made in America movement need to be better at educating, need to be better at communicating uh, what's going on in our, in our industries, what's going on with American manufacturing and how important it is to, to continue to support us, um, to keep that at, at front of mind for the average American. So um, when the time does come that they need to buy a new pair of shoes or um, you know, a new, you know, a new, a new grill or a new, uh, power tool or something. They, they can make an educated decision to buy something that was, that was made in the United States because they're supporting, um, lots of people who are employed by the companies that make these things, who, who could be their neighbors, who could be part of their community, um, yeah, who, you know, these companies pay taxes in the United States that help support their infrastructure. I mean, there's so many good reasons to, to support American manufacturers. So I knew these conversations would be important in order to get a comprehensive understanding of the struggles of keeping production in this country. That being said, like all things, we have to take all perspectives into consideration to understand the whole landscape. I got a lot of insight from Surat Irvani. She runs the show at Okabashi Brands, another made-in-America footwear manufacturer down in Georgia. Sarah is a first-generation American. Her father came here with a family history of production overseas. And given her family history and her personal experience traveling the world, she's a great resource in understanding the international perspective on the entrepreneurial opportunity in the United States. Listen to this. It's incredible. I mean, there is no place like America to do business. The size of the market is incredible. I mean, the size, like the economy of so many of these single states are equivalent to so many different national GDPs. So not only do you have sort of the scale, but you have such a diversity and such like a depth within so many different niches. Like I, I am sure, you know, look at sort of some of the threads and momentum on like Reddit and all of these different platforms, you know, there is a market probably for, we were just talking about puppies. Like I'm sure that there is a, a market for like, I don't know, origami puppy food bowls that are sort of 
recyclable. I don't know, sort of even the most um, ob seemingly obscure market could have incredible depth across sure. this country. Right. So, and then you also have the ability because of the way that the economy is framework to be able to get out there. I mean, we've got all these incredible new digital tools that we're able to use to reach. We also have a whole partnership network of different retailers and brands and collaborators. There's so much energy and excitement that one can tap into. And then there's also, because of all of this, this incredible um, competitive nature, right? Where everyone, you know, you might have thought about this like special origami puppy food bowl, mm -hmm. but, you know, there might be also 10 other people and so there's this incredible competition that drives innovation as mm -hmm. well. Um, and so then you need more energy to sort of keep on creating more interesting and more compelling things. Um, and so it just sort of creates this virtuous cycle of, of positive energy and building. And it's just, even just thinking about it is energizing. I think that the the media does a really great job of making made in America political. Mm. And it it can be political, but that's a piece of the puzzle. It's not the whole thing, you know? Made in America, what's interesting is, you know, take this past election cycle. Mm. Both sides were talking about made in America. Right. At its heart. I think that it's about, I think it's about respect, right? And and creating opportunity and sort of in, in your community um, and knowing that things that you are purchasing are, people are, are treated in the same way that you would sort of want to be able to look in people's eyes and say, yes, you made this, whereas, you know, there's a sort of the black box of imports where you don't know how people are treated. Mm -hmm. um, and I, it, it's actually, I think, something that everyone can champion. And I think even more so sustainably made in USA mm -hmm. as well, you know, just like we want to treat people with respect. And that's what we're all working towards to higher standards. You know, let's do the same with the environment. So we've taken a look at the whole picture, but having talked with now 15 founders across multiple industries and disciplines, we know that choosing to keep production domestic is only one piece of the puzzle. It's an important building block in a brand image and brand ethos, but it isn't the only thing. As the market complicates year over year with new trends, different differentiators, and heavier competition, I think we can take notes from some of these legacy brands that have survived and thrived through a multitude of economic climates and market trends. DN 1920, which, as you know, is a personal favorite in the heritage world and a company that recently celebrated their 100th birthday, sums it up perfectly. They know who they are. Here's some perspective on brand identity from Jim Artis, who runs the show over at DN. Well, I, I think a couple of things. One, um, we, and I'll say we because there's numerous people involved, were wise enough to listen to some outside voices, uh, you know, probably about 10 years ago when, when people came into the business or, or looked at the business and said, you guys have some equity here that you're not utilizing. You know, you've got a, a fantastic history. You make fantastic product. 
uh, you're making it in Portland, Oregon, which is uh, very uncommon today, you need to be telling the story. You need to be blowing your own horn a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, so we listened to that. And I think the first step was just realizing that, uh, yeah, we are kind of special. We are a bit different today. And maybe we should, you know, stand up a little high, uh, taller, uh, puff out our chest just a bit, um, because that, that's not really who we are. I mean, I think uh, almost to a person, uh, Dean employees are pretty humble, pretty unassuming. Uh, you know, we, we do our work and, and uh, punch out at the end of the day and, and go home and come back and do it again tomorrow kind of thing. But it was important that we tell the story and, and realize that um, we're doing something different than most. Uh, mm-hmm. at Absolutely. Uh, yeah. So from there, uh, you know, we started to promote our classic, traditional, uh, tried and true styles that, you know, really don't go out of fashion. Uh, they'll, they'll wane and wax a bit, but the fact is a good cardigan, a good quarter zip, a good varsity jacket can be sold pretty much always, or that's our experience anyway. Uh, we make timeless product. Um, you know, Dean is not a fad. Uh, we're not trending. Uh, you know, we, we, we make what we make because we believe in what we make. And there's a certain percentage of the population, I think, that will always want what we do. So um, we're fortunate in that in today's world, we, can, we have a much greater reach than we did even a decade ago. And that's what we're learning. I mean, I think that's one of the today's challenges for me, certainly, but for the business is how do you take this small Portland, Oregon company of 20 employees uh, who makes a great product and uh, go out into the marketplace and make yourself heard? Um, so that, that's what we're doing, trying to do today. It's been really cool to pick the brains behind people at these companies that have been around and been iconic for so long, including Jason Schott, COO at Schott NYC, which is another centennial brand. He was our first interview in this miniseries, and I have to say I had two big takeaways from my conversation with him. Number one is that eventually I'm going to have to pull the trigger on a shot jacket for myself. Number two, Jason's stories of growing up in the shot factory, growing a consciousness of the brand, and understanding his family legacy really stuck with me. I think I had an understanding of the value that Made in America adds to a marketing campaign, but hearing Jason's personal stories of growing up in the factory and the memories that he has attached to those gave a personal understanding of Made in America that I hadn't experienced in my own life. Did you know your great-grandfather growing up? I did, yes. I was very fortunate. My great-grandfather um, lived to 99. And wow. he, I was 17 when he passed away. And wow. um, so I really got to know him very well. Of course, even at 17, I wish I asked different questions. You know, I've got sure. a lot of questions now that it didn't occur to me to ask him when right. I was a kid. He was just such a proud guy of what he had built, um, mm-hmm. as he should be. Um, and he was coming to the factory into his late 90s. Um, he'd love to walk the floor and 
uh, keep an eye on the production and just kind of take in what he had built. At that point, my, my grandfather, my uncle, my mother had all joined into the business. And so he was just a figurehead at that point, but, but still very proud of what he built. Wow. So what was your awareness of the family business when you were a kid? You know, we, for a long time, we were better appreciated and better known outside the U.S. And mm -hmm. I think, I think most American brands that have lasted for as long as we have, have that period of time where they get discovered by the rest of the world. And that kind of helps to carry them. Um, right. Mid in America wasn't always valued and appreciated in the U S mm -hmm. the way it was in other countries. And so, um, you know, I think I was a little bit sheltered from the brand. You know, I think as a little kid, I would come to the factory and it was just like a playland. You know, I get right. to jump off of the big cutting tables into, um, you know, piles of quilt and um, wow. drive the golf cart around this massive factory. And, um, you know, it was just a, a place to explore and get lost. And um, it wasn't until later that I really appreciated what we did as a brand, as a factory. So let's look at it holistically, not politically, without affiliation, from one human to another. You can't miss the pride that these brands have around their initiatives to build a physical community around their product offerings and brand ethos. In order to fully digest this next example, you might need a little regional context. Gina Thorson is the president of Stormy Cromer, an iconic lifestyle brand based in the Upper Peninsula in Michigan. Honestly, I had to do a little research before we spoke. It's not a corner of the country that I know a ton about, but like a lot of other small manufacturing areas, I could tell by the way that Gina spoke about her employees that there's a well-deserved sense of pride in the factory. Gina believes, and I agree, that this sense of pride translates into a higher quality finished product. I think, you know, for our employees, for the men and women sitting at sewing machines and cutting machines and making this happen in this tiny little town in the remotest part of the Upper Peninsula, um, there is this pride that they know they're making a product that is going all over the country to some places overseas. And, and that motivates them to do better, to focus on quality, um, to do all those things. And it's when you want, we pre pandemic, we gave factory tours, quite a lot of them. And people would comment on that as they, as they took the tour all these people, you know, your workers seem so committed. They seem, they seem so happy. They seem so focused. Um, you know, I've never gotten this feeling from a factory before. And it really is because they are so proud of what they're doing. Um, we had a woman, she's retired now, but she, for like, I don't know how long, 15 years, maybe she tied the tie on the front of the cap. Wow. And she was very proud that we did not have some machine that automatically tied a tie. It was her that did it. And she would tell a story that she was, she was somewhere out of town. She saw someone who was wearing one of her caps and the tie was not perfect. And she actually just went up to the person, took off their hat, retied the tie and gave it back to them wow. so that it could be perfect. Like we have, and we have a lot of those people who would do things like that. It also comes from, I think for us, you talk about community and that's, the people that work here, it's the place that we live, but the brand also has this amazing community of people who are so passionate about our products. Um, 
we had a picture on uh, that we posted on Facebook uh, maybe a month ago that this older gentleman had put out his Stormy Cromer collection. And there were literally 40 hats, wow. like three vests, stuff for his wife, all a blanket, all this stuff. And um, the our commu- community of fans inspires our workers as well. They see that these people are making this commitment to our brand, that they are passing hats on to their sons and daughters and grandsons and granddaughters, that, that um, when a new baby is born into a passionate Cromer family that, you know, the, one of the first gifts is a, is a baby Stormy Cromer for the, for the newborn. And they see these, and they see people getting married and their Stormy Cromer caps. And I think that all feeds our employees to keep up that pride, keep up that quality and really continue to make a product that's going to last forever um, for, for the folks that ultimately wear them. So if I haven't made it obvious, I learned a ton over the course of this series about the importance of American manufacturing, both on the macro level and on the micro. I encourage you to go back and re-listen to these five episodes with these five brands. Check them out on Instagram. Check them out on the web. One commonality between these five brands that have withstood the test of time is a strong consumer community that believes in what they do. And they're always looking for more. Well, that's all I got for you for today. We'll catch you next time. I'm Lucas Fitz, and this is AF Fireside. To learn more about all the brands featured on the podcast, check out fireside.shopaf.co. And don't forget to subscribe to us on your streaming platform of choice. Thanks for listening. Today's episode is presented by Jamestown, a global real estate investment and management company known for transforming spaces into innovation hubs and community centers. Learn more at jamestownlp.com.